0: Alive and Kicking on News Talk.
1: Yes, you can email the show kicking at com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Brendan Courtney on why we need to rethink how the state cares for our older generations. Nilo O'Muricu on the power of the cold and the rise of entrepreneurs writing their own rules around work-life balance. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, this was a busy week. I have finally finished my online course. It's now available at nourishyourself.ie. Whenever you finish a big project like that, whether it's through college or work or whatever it is, it can be a little anticlimactic. You kind of expect there to be some sort of fanfare and yet you're just finished. But it means I don't necessarily have to think of it again Um, And I hope that it will help anybody who gives it a go. And it was World Mental Health Day on Tuesday. And I hosted a number of panels for Leia Healthcare and Spectrum Life on mindfulness, addiction and LGBTQ plus communities. I had some really powerful conversations with Dermot Whelan, who recently stepped away from his radio career to focus on sharing his work as a meditation and mindfulness coach. GAA manager Oisín MacConville on his gambling addiction and Ireland's first transgender woman, Rebecca Talon de Havilland. I really don't take my job for granted not sitting here talking to you and not being part of such an important awareness date such as World Mental Health Day. A national survey on behalf of Mental Health Ireland found that 88% of people agreed or strongly agreed that mental health is a universal human Right. Two thirds of people believe Ireland is making positive steps towards a more diverse and representative society. We are certainly talking more. However, one in eight people have experienced discrimination and one in six felt limited in being able to get a job or keep a job due to having a mental or physical illness. And the two are very much intertwined. I hosted an event the following day for a massive company and they'd brought all their leaders together to talk about how important it is to care for themselves, care for each other and show vulnerability. A term I loved was, instead of bringing your best self to work, bring your whole self to work. And this isn't the first event of its kind that I've been part of over the years. Workplaces are changing in this area. And as a mum of two, I know schools are talking and implementing mental health policies too. But mental health is still not a political issue. We only spend 6% of the overall health budget on mental health, where early intervention and support would make a massive difference in the crisis model we currently fund. So when the next election time comes round, ask those who knock on your door to change this. Mental health is more than just one day. Three in five of us will experience a mental health issue. So if it's not you, it's people you live with, work with, or are friends with. It impacts us all. You can email the show, aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, the way we work will have a massive impact on our health and well-being, as will our financial situation. Many women are setting up their own business so they can create their own work-life balance. And I'm joined now by two entrepreneurs who did just that and now support others to do the same. Finola Howard is a brand building and marketing strategist based in Dunmore East. And Lucy O'Reilly merges business strategy with creative web design to support businesses. Well, you're both very welcome. Thank you.
2: Finola, can I start with you and when you started up your own business, I started up in 1999. So next year I celebrate 25 years in business, believe it or not. (laughs) So I started because I was very unhappy actually in the business, in the company that I was working for and was quite frustrated by the restrictions of it. And I wanted to do something different. It was at a time when uh, e-commerce was coming, the Internet was rolling out. At that time, I was even having conversations of do this? Do you think this internet thing will ever catch on? Later on, I had the, do you think social media will catch on? So I went out on my own and uh, had a web design business. That's how I started. And
1: I think the way we work has really changed, hasn't it, Lucy, over the last few years? I mean, obviously we have remote working now, but I, I think people are really starting to take a step back and think about what's the life I want to create?
3: How do I want to work? How do I want to live? Yeah, absolutely. We see that all the time. Um, people leaving the kind of the corporate rat race. I mean, even if there is now, as you say, uh, the ability to work from home and so on. But the, the, a lot of the women that we work with, they just want to take their experience and take their uh, their know-how and make that work for them in a professional sense. But also having then the that work life balance so working for themselves it's just easier then for them to manage their time but also they can get well paid <laughs> cuz they have you know careers behind them but they just want to it's too hard we've discovered that we can't actually have it all and so um trying to balance um you know successful careers for a lot of women but you know when they can't but they get to the sort of their their mid to late 40s it's just too much cuz they're they just realise that actually there's another way of doing this and that's when they often decide to, to go out on their own um, so that they can balance their, their work and then their families, whether it's children or elderly parents um, or just their hobbies and uh, just uh, looking after themselves better. So um, there's definitely been a shift and yeah, that, that's who, who we see coming to us as women who are, uh, who are leaving that behind, that sort of typical uh, corporate lifestyle to do something for themselves.
1: Yeah, and I've spoken on the show a couple of weeks back um, about midlife and you do get to a point where you're like, okay, well, let's have a look at what's gone on, what's working, what's not working and how do I want to live going forward? So I can understand that's why a lot of the women who come to you are at that point in their life. And I think it's really good, Lucy, that you mentioned, you know, it could be ageing parents, it could be somebody else in your family. It doesn't all have to be about kids. And I know when we talk about women, we have to be careful that we don't just pigeonhole them into motherhood or parenthood. But Finola, it is a big issue for women in the workplace who juggle a family and a job. And because we have the gender pay gap, I have so many friends myself who said, I'll stay at home, some by choice, some by necessity. And to then believe that we can have our own power to make our own money from our kitchen table and
2: still be around for pickup, I think is really empowering for women. It's, it's amazing because we now have, we've started to realise we have choice. That's the biggest thing, that we have choice and that we can decide. I don't have to conform to what success looks like. I don't have to conform to what, what some would call a patriarchal view of success and that it has to be hustle and it has to be go and it has to be all of that. It can actually have... A calmness to it, a way of spreading your focus at different points in the day to what needs to happen in those points in the day. So you can decide, but nine to five doesn't make sense for me. What might make sense for me is I'm going to, so this is what I do in the morning. So in the morning, I get up. At six o'clock, I'm writing a book at the moment. From six to seven, I write. At seven, I get up, I put the porridge on and feed my son. I drop him to school, I come back, I meet my swimming pals and I go swimming in Dunmore East. We're great. And then at 11 o'clock, I start to work. And I don't work or take meetings until 11. And that's what we're seeing is thinking outside the box and saying, what can work for me?
1: Yeah, and I really love that. And I think, Lucy, a lot of people are afraid of the thought of taking on their own business. I mean, they're barely coping now with the spinning plates. How will they be able to do their own books or market their own site? What about customers? And it feels very overwhelming, which is where you guys come in, because you do need support running your own business and being without that team or without that mentor or line manager to go to.
3: That, that can be overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know from my own experience, I'm just coming up to five years in business. Um, so I'm a, a novice compared to Fanola. Um, but I found uh, online networks of women in business a huge support because I had no entrepreneurial background. I was sort of, it was kind of, um, yeah, my situation meant that I, at the time, I might... Um, just divorced my husband and had been at home with my kids for a long time. And so I had to get back into the workforce and was finding it difficult to get back into traditional uh sort of nine to five jobs because my the gap that the years that I was home at home with the kids meant that I was effectively starting again or my own prospective employers saw me as somebody who was starting again, even though I had, you know, 12 years experience pre-kids, et cetera, et cetera. So um then when I my uh, my marriage broke down, then I had to go back to work and uh, found it difficult to to get back, as I say, into the inter, you know sort of a nine to five job. So I decided to go out on my own, but I was kind of winging it really. But I found great support in um, online networks of other women in business, and that's where like just I don't know if I could have done it actually because you know you you do have to. As you say, juggle everything. You have to understand about accounting and marketing and um, uh, sales and social media and your website and your branding and all that. And you can't know that. You know uh, Luckily for me, I was in that area in that sphere. But if you're a uh, if you're say a, a psychotherapist and you decide to go out on your own, or you're a yoga instructor. Well, you know a lot about yoga, but you may not know about marketing and the accounts that you have to do as a small business owner and so on. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the things I enjoy most is actually sharing with my clients, you know, other people, introducing them to other people who can help them with the other areas that they need to address uh, to run a business successfully. So, um, and I have to say, there's an incredible sort of community of uh, female entrepreneurs in this country who are so supportive of each other. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and lots of different networking groups and lots of different communities, but always supportive and and helping each other. And as I say, making those introductions and we can learn from each other. And I, yeah, I've just in the last five years met or discovered a whole community of 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 women out there many of whom are now friends that I wouldn't have met <laughs> otherwise so it's actually really empowering and as i say everybody um everybody does want to support and help each other this is how we met absolutely okay. yeah and i mean yeah. a rising
1: tide mm. lifts absolutely. all boats yeah. and there's plenty of room for everybody yeah. um but that power of human connection is so important i mean it can be lovely to be at home with the kids. But sometimes people can find themselves quite isolated. They sort of stop making time for themselves, making time to learn. The more you're growing your circle and growing your experience, it kind of keeps everything fizzing and, and, and everything alive. I think it's it's really important if that's what you choose to do. There's plenty of people who are fine. But if people feel a bit stuck, this can be a way to move on from that feeling and, and, and really get some money and time for yourself. And I, I think that's really important. What are some of the things you hear from the women you work with time and time again, Fanola?
2: Well, one of the things that comes up really strongly is, is just leading on from that idea that you had is this idea of identity so that we're not just the partner or the mother or the person who does the school run. It's this, this kind of journey to actually figuring out, OK, well, I am actually a woman who has other interests and actually perhaps I even have a purpose and why I'm here and what I want to do, what's the difference that I want to make in the world. And now that I meet all these other people in business, other women in business, I realize they actually think the same way, too. And perhaps we're actually all on a journey together that we can actually share our own expertise and go, well, I feel like this and I feel really crap. And this is why you hear all the imposter syndrome stuff coming up all the time, because then you realize that everybody kind of feels like this as well. But the things that we see as blocks happening for growth for women in businesses, yeah, one is identity and closely associated with that is how am I different? How am I unique? I'm not really that unique. Am I good enough to be unique? But that person over there, they're better than me. But the reality is that we see in the people that we work with is we just have to look deep enough to find that uniqueness and to be to listen in to find that uniqueness. It's only when you tune in, do you actually find it. Other than that, we see things like the fear when they want to go to next level success. One of the challenges is this uh, great fear of hiring people, of the people that they hire maybe won't do it the same way as them, which they're not supposed to do it the same way as them. The other things that we see is this thing of losing that work-life balance. Whereas, in fact, if you actually level up and think about it from a much more strategic perspective, you give yourself more freedom by leveling up than staying where you are and putting that ceiling that you escaped in corporate life on yourself when you're in your own business.
1: Yeah, because if you're going to do this, I suppose it's hard graft at the start, but there's no point if you're going to be sitting on your laptop Till 12, one o'clock at the kitchen table, then getting up doing the kids. Yeah. Then this is not what this is <laughs> about. <the> purpose. <laughs> you have some webinars coming up, Lucy. Tell us a bit about those.
3: Yeah. So we're we're running uh we're running a couple of webinars starting next week. Um to help um yeah, it's for female entrepreneurs who want to go to that next level. So have been in business for a couple of years, but who actually, as Fanola says, want to take the next uh the next step and we are going to help them Uh, look at, we've just sort of designed the three lenses that they need to look at all the different aspects of their business uh, through. So the webinar is called um, Packaging Your Brilliance. And as I say, we're going to look at all the various aspects of your business through these lenses of mindset, um, revenue sources, and then marketing the marketing says. that the marketing process that you need to put in place to make it all work. So um, yeah, we did a couple already a couple of weeks ago, and we got amazing feedback. And uh, yeah, I mean, vanola's is just phenomenal. So <laughs> it's uh, for anybody in business, male or female. It's um, uh, it's really <laughs> it's, a,
2: it's it's but it's time it's, well spent. It's this idea that if you know the
3: path that lies ahead, yeah,
2: then you can actually prepare yourself for it. Because so often what people experience is that there's this disjointed view of all these things of I have to know social media, I have to know this, I have to know that. And very often when they come to the business, they don't realise, oh my God, I have to do all of that and I have to get photographs taken and I have to get this And, and it becomes overwhelming. And then they start to make choices based on that without actually really understanding to maybe slow down, take a pause, think about what you want out of it because true growth comes from want, not from need. So to actually craft that way forward and that's what the webinars are about. And blast through that imposter syndrome. Everybody has it.
1: Nobody is an expert until they have a go and they fail and they get back up again and that's all part of the process. Um, So, yeah, I think it's incredible. And as you say, if you knew the path ahead, We're talking financial freedom. We're talking a swim at eleven o'clock in the morning with your friends at Dunmore East, avoiding (laughs) the commute. You know, it's well worth checking out. People can find out more at designyourownsuccess.com. Finola and Lucy, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Coming up after the break, Brendan Courtney on the rethink we need to have around state care for our older generations.
0: Alive and kicking. All news talk.
1: You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, in 2017, broadcaster and designer Brendan Courtney made a documentary, We Need to Talk About Dad, looking at the realities of seeking care for his ageing father. Following his death, he filmed We Need to Talk About Mam, and he joins me in studio to talk about her again. Yeah. One of the most glamorous, beautiful women I've ever yeah. seen, nula Courtney. Yeah, she, we grew up with a Hollywood star,
4: basically. She always felt she was cheated. Yeah. she been on the big screen and lo and behold, she got on the little screen. So she loved it. Yeah, she really enjoyed that.
1: But her health of late yeah. hasn't been good. How, how is she?
4: So it's just one of the, the fall. Anybody in, in and around my generation who has older parents, she took a fall Christmas two years ago, broke her hip. She was coming from work. She was up in a car park in up in town. The north side, and uh, she fell down some steps, broke her hip. Ambulance to the matter. Who were brilliant operation straight away within twenty four hours to fix the hip. She got delirium, which triggered a massive uh, revelation. Really, that she was had low lying dementia, but it really triggered the dementia. So she was she was bananas for about four months. She didn't know where she was. So delirium is this very misunderstood illness that older people tend to get, comf- combination of the the stress of the operation, antibiotics, a viral infection she had in her lung and kidneys, the the confusion that was underlying anyway. And so delirium is a really horrible disease. So next time you're in an A&E with somebody, with, even with a kid with a broken arm, you'll see, if you look around, you'll see, watch for signs for delirium. Because delirium invokes terrible paranoia. So they recognise you but they think they're in a prison or they think people are trying to kill them or she rang the police a couple of times from her bed Saying that she was being kidnapped, and she even rang old clients, of course, because she was a psychotherapist for many years before this. In fact, she was coming from work, having counselled people the day she fell, broke broke her hip, and uh, so it, the delirium then uh, dissipated, but it revealed dementia, and it's really a horrible illness, as anybody knows. But she's great at covering. You see, she's very vital. My mother, total age denier all her life, so thinks she's forty two still. And so she'll meet you. She won't have a bogs notion of your name, but she'll say, your hair looks great today. Isn't the weather lovely today? So she talks in the now. And ironically, she was a yoga teacher for years when we were kids, all about living in the now as her big mantra. And she very much lives in the now. So she's comfortable and happy. But now she's confused a lot and his words are dropping. So she tries to say cup, but she can't remember the word for cup, which is the progression of the illness. So... Yeah, it's just been really sad to watch. And uh, but she's comfortable. i literally just before I came in here I was speaking to her on the phone, she's like, I'm in the red cow. <laughs> she's in she's in a nursing home now. She just went in this week, which is breaking my heart, I have to say. And um
1: Yeah, no, that it is so upsetting. <coughs> and I've been through it with my dad and I know only too well. Yeah. You didn't want her to go no. into a home. You wanted her to be cared for in her own home.
4: Yeah, I suppose <clears throat> I'm I'm upset now and I'm embarrassed. So sorry. Um <clears throat> because it's the sort of the culmination of it all cuz she's very comfortable. She is in the right place. I'm I'm I believe that now. Um but yeah, it's just the whole process is, is very sad. Um and also uh the uh <clears throat> the family politics the, the division in our family has been awful. Like you, like the social workers are literally like, you know, <laughs> Kofi and Anne, you know, they're these poor people who are just trying to do the best for the patients end up in the middle of the screaming families. And we're not unusual, many of the social workers have told me, but we love each other, my sisters and my brother. Um, we really do and we've come back around together. But it's been really hard and anybody who's gone through it and, you know, I sat in a room with Mam's medical team, <clears throat> the, the jigs and the reals, she went back to have a hip replacement about six months ago and it revealed that they, 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 they her medical team in Kappa who are amazing orthopedic, or it's an elective hospital, you elect to go in there. So they don't expect people to come in and have very bad dementia. So the care system had to change. And uh, I kind of knew she, she really, she was in a lot of pain and the social worker there was like, well, she has pretty bad dementia. I said, well, which is which is worse, the pain? or the dementia, and they said, well, her delirium could happen again. So actually, sidebar, they did her hip replacement um, with an epidural. She was awake listening to music because that stops the risk of delirium because of that, but it didn't. She got delirium again and it was even worse. And uh, yeah, she just, you know, her poor brain is not, it, it, is, it has plaque in it and it's, it's, she, it's an illness and she's very, very sick. But um, it was me against 16 people, her team, her social care, her nurses, the bed managers, my entire family and just me. And I was like, I feel like we're betraying her. I really think this is not what she'll want. And the geriatrician, who is an amazing woman, sort of took me aside and had a big chat with me and said, I know this is really hard for you, but your mother's a social animal. Like, she just loves being around people, even with the care. She'll be on her own with the care in her home. Whereas in the, like, she, they have a hairdressing salon, they have a fake bar. She, she's learning to drive again in a fake um, car they have all these stimulus in the in the home where she's up to her eyes I go in now she's only there a few days and she's like singing songs when I walked in yesterday you know so it, it's it's just very sad she's an amazing woman
1: um, yeah so I feel for her And the fair deal scheme that we have at the minute I always wonder about the name mm-hmm. of it because yeah, I don't so know unfair. how much fairness is in there that yeah. people can attach their homes to pay for their care. Considering yeah. these are people that have <clears throat> quite they, often oh paid tax their whole lives and, and paid off this home.
4: You know, sort of working class people, sort of not maybe sort of middle working class people, as you the, the term would be now, who've who basically had the right to buy their council house, uh, did that right to buy, cobbled together, borrowed money from the credit union, whoever would give them money, bought the house. My mum and dad bought their house. My mum and dad's story is beautiful. They bought the house off a a, a, a retiring council worker. They were in arrears in the rent in our house in Coolock, but the three of us were born. The five of us had been born. My two sisters had died in that house. My mother wanted to leave the house when we were kids. And so they had a really, they were only 20, my mum was only 28, imagine, and two children had died. And so we're all in the car, (laughs) bunnies looking out the window. And we were parked outside the council house, the council office, and my dad went in to negotiate repayment terms for arrears. Mum was a hairdresser, dad was a builder. It was the seven, early 70s in Do- Ireland. And uh, he looked out the window and he says, is that your young family in the car? And he said, yeah. And he said, okay, well, you've heard about this right to buy scheme. And dad said, no. He said, well, I'm retiring today. You go and get me £500 and I'll give you that house. And he did. They went off. My dad went to his brother's. I don't know how he got the money together. £500 was still a lot of money, but it wasn't. A, I mean, the house was probably worth £1,800 or two grand, and this gorgeous man whose name they never got changed the trajectory of my family's life. It's really lovely, isn't it?
1: Yeah, sounded like they needed that little bit of love. They luck.
4: really needed that and everybody needs that <laughs> at the yep. moment as well. Anybody looking to buy a house. But anyway, so they sold that house for 17000 about, you know, eight years later and then they bought the house in Tala and then spent the next, you know, 40 years paying off their mortgage and then when Dad got sick, Mum was so upset that she'd have to do the fair deal scheme which was a, a lean on the house an old phrase that people would use is a lean on that house that means it owes money now the fair deal scheme uh, it, dad's care uh, if you live past three years in the hospice or the nursing home your care is free you only have to pay for the three years so dad didn't live he only lived eight, 11 months in the hospice and so his care bill was maybe it was a little more actually maybe it was just past the year but his care bill was, was, 11, was 12 grand so that's still outstanding and on the house and so you can rein, you can reinstate that for the second par- parent or partner in the House. So that's what we've had to do. But the whole time, you know, all these years later, and I have sat with Roisin Shortall, who's now, you know, spokesperson for health for the Social Democrats, who was junior minister for health and she resigned because she's frustrated with the system. So many, the head of the HCCI, which is the Home Carers Institute, you know, umbrella organisation for home care. They've also, there's no reason why the government just can't open Fair Deal to not just pay for nursing home care but pay for home care and if we could use that we could really have tried to bring mom home. Now she would need two carers. She's a falls risk. She can't be left alone. She's like a she basically thinks she's she thinks she's really well and she's like a toddler. You know you have to constantly guide her so she cannot be left alone for a minute.
1: Yeah and unfortunately home. with dementia it's only going to Get deteriorate. Yes.
4: So I suppose that was my my lament and my argument a few months ago was can we just try a few months at home and I did one sort of appeal, sort of, I did an interview actually, um, I can't remember for who, but I did a video and I put it out just saying, you know, I know that we are, we're looking at developing a system where statutory home care will exist for us maybe in 20 years time where we'll be all entitled to home care, but the system is, as we all know, is desperately broken and in the short term, even the budget this year, they have budgeted to fail. Again, they're not addressing the waiting list. There's, there's about 250 old people sitting in their living rooms on their own right now, and they cannot even reach their medication. And they get one hour of care, maybe every second day, right? And so,
1: even the idea, and I understand that the care companies do their best, but that bedtime has to be six or seven o'clock in the evening yeah. because then the, the, the care team are and, gone. And, and the,
4: care, the carers are under so much pressure. Like my mom had to, so we were very lucky. Mom came out of the hospital the first time. We actually got care in the home, and it was working for a little while. My brother lives upstairs in the attic, and he was there at night. And it was it was kind of working, but she was deteriorating, and she was falling a lot, and she was hurting herself, and she was trying to go out at night, and it was getting harder and harder to manage her, and especially for my brother, who was absolutely brilliant at home, and he maintained the status quo for as long as he could. You know, until it was became impossible. So, what we would need is to take that money that we're now paying for a nursing home and employ two full time carers. And between us all, I wonder if we got access to the fair deal scheme. I'm pretty sure we could afford it.
1: Yeah, just to put it on the table. I mean, just to put it on the table, and especially for other illnesses that that aren't yeah. dementia. Now, just to say, related. I mean, I,
4: because of Dad's documentary, mom's documentary, I have been looking around these nursing homes and picking where I'm going because I I think actually to be safe in an environment where there's There's night staff, you're infirm, you may need to be helped to the bathroom. I'm, I'm looking forward to that you know I'm, I'm hoping I can afford the shell burn <laughs> but I'm, I'm joking of course but I, I have looked around and gone this is not I don't have a Brendan or a, a Daniel I don't my, I'm, I keep saying to my mom. Can we
1: have a cocktail bar and a rave? That's what I'm saying let's do it <laughs> yeah. No look it's a really tough time in life but I always think that you judge a society and how it looks after it's vulnerable and yeah. we should be celebrating the older generations and yeah. making sure they get what they need not just Shoving them away. stop gapping
4: and, and even in the way they were treated during COVID, you know, shared living with, with people who are not, are confused about what's happening and can't protect themselves, probably can't even put on a face mask. A lot of them wonder why in shared living in nursing homes. It was just appalling. You know, there's so many problems with it, but where mom is, they are adorable. Oh my God. The people are just going. I've been in every day and I have my friend David who's a singer. He's in the Book of Mor- He was in the Book of Mormon. He's like, OK, we'll do a full show for them. I'm like, they're going to be like, can you just get out of the way of the telly? The old Catherine Tate. We'll be up every <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> Bingo. Great. And
1: keep know. me a spot there. I absolutely <laughs> love that. Well, I'm glad she's thriving in there. But, you know, you're I mean, highlighting
4: well, like,
1: a tough time. She's
4: ringing me every hour and she can to use her phone, you know, and and I'm the last dial. So I get the phone every night, and she she. It's, yeah. She'll go. Where am I? Am I in the red cow? Yeah. Wherever you where. Where do you want to be? And I keep saying to her like that. She said, "Am I in the red cow?" I'm like, eh, "Let's go to the Ritz." So you yeah. <laughs> <So> know. she's <laughs> look. She's and she's bringing me then going, We had a great time last night, and we did sing song, and and they have like two full time activities. People who organize. Like it's just. I, I think I'm I'm very optimistic about it now because it's choiceless. Yeah. We don't have a choice. And we, what can we do? We can sit here crying with you or we can get on with it, you know, put our best foot forward and visit her every day and be around with her and take her out for lunch. And they even have a cafe. They have, as I said, they have a fake bar. I can take her for a drink. So you, you can take her the bar. And actually what they do, they kind of don't want you to take her out too soon because you don't, they get People, she gets confused. Where are we going now? What's happening? Yeah. So routine is very important. I, I'm understanding. And at the core of our health service are the most incredible people professionals on the front line they really are these people are saints nearly all of them are just they give so much and a lot of them when in the TV room the TV is really loud it's really funny there's many people in that room who have a care sitting right beside them for the whole time they're never left alone and I just that's just really safe you know and they're smiling waving at you when you go in and it's 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 cute, dare I say it, you know.
1: Yeah, oh no, they're yeah. angels. I mean, yeah. my dad sadly lasted a week from a arriving week. there from hospital. Yeah, he never got back out of the bed. It was COVID, so we hadn't even got to see him. Oh my goodness, um, I'm so sorry. But they were incredible. They were oh just God, lovely terrible. people. And I think we fear nursing homes in many ways. Well,
4: our gen- parents' generation, absolutely terrified of them because... There was unsp- unspoken abuse, like with mother and baby homes, that they all knew about the Bowl Boys home when we were kids. And that go- they were everywhere. My mother went to Golden Bridge. You know, people knew about abuse. My grandmother told amazing stories about accompanying my mother to school in Golden Bridge and saying, oh, my God, she's such a yapper, tells me everything. Warn, And then we, mom figured out years later, warning the nuns. She tells me everything. So don't even. And I lived mm, That was there. clever. Really clever. And Rory Cowan told me the same story about his mother in his school saying, Oh, he's a real yapper now. And that was a thing they did to protect their kids because they knew there was abuse. They knew there was something not right. They probably didn't name it. And they were afraid because the hierarchy of society at the time. But they certainly knew there was something not right in, in nursing homes because nursing homes were where you put. Because what pa- families did was no matter what, they cared in the home because that was, they didn't have a choice. So the old person went upstairs and moved into the bed and stayed there and was cared for. So it was a different time, you know, and they probably were left alone up in the room, oh, you know, all night and day. I don't know, but I definitely think we're moving into a new era where the system can be trusted more, where there is regulatory bodies, where my elder sister read every review of every nursing home we looked at, you know, and they're all there. The the HICWA reports are all there to read. So there's definitely a reassurance around uh, the whole... Uh, you know, nursing home system I think as well so that's why it's so hard to with one hand really be critical of the system and then the other hand really grateful for the system you know yeah. just, it's like the healthcare isn't it?
1: And that's the importance of talking about it and that's why yeah. I'm very grateful to you for doing that yeah. because it is something we're uncomfortable talking about because yeah. as you've highlighted well, it's the traumatic the for families it's difficult but the more we talk about it yeah. the more things change
4: for the better. I, I, yeah, I'm in the throes of suffering terribly with guilt and I think it's just obviously uh a part of it and I'm clearly very emotional about it and have been since Monday. Um but we're here now, you know, and straight after here I'll be straight up there with some chicken legs and a new dress.
1: <laughs> right. Well give us a shout when we're doing the, jazz <laughs> the hands. bingo. Give me <laughs> the a jazz. shout. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, I'll be sure. there with bells on. For sure, for sure. Brendan Courtney, thank you so so much. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, Neil O on the power of the cold.
0: Alive and Kicking on News Talk.
1: You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Neil Amorakou is a show favourite at this stage. He has been on to share his work as a breathwork expert and a Wim Hof practitioner. His last book, The Blissful Breath, was a bestseller. And now he's back with another book, The Power of the Cold. And he joins me in studio now. Neil, you're very welcome.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, a second book under your belt?
0: Yes, the power of cold is, is just out and it's a great compliment to the first one, the blissful breath.
1: Because people who have listened to the show you've been on before, or they may be aware of you from your workshops or social media. You are a breathwork expert and also a cold water therapy expert. So your first book was all about the power of the breath. And in this one, we're looking at the power of cold. So why is cold so good for us? What does it do for us psychologically and physiologically?
0: Well, there are nearly endless great benefits from the cold. So if we start with the kind of obvious ones, firstly, it balances our hormones. So no matter how we feel getting into the cold, we feel different getting out. The second big one is that it improves our circulation. So parts of our body that mightn't be getting the blood and nutrients and oxygen they need all of a sudden are. The other big ones are our immunity starts to get better and better. But for people listening, I think one of the, the biggest ones is inflammation. So when we get into the cold and we find our breath in the cold and we can feel a sense of calm in the cold, inflammation, the science shows us, inflammation can be going down the body for six days afterwards still. So that's a massive one. You know, so inflammation, of course, is very important for the body. It's a great mechanism to help us deal with loads of things. But if we're in chronic inflammation, if inflammation is a problem, then getting into the cold, slowing our breath down, finding that sense of control in the cold can have a massive, massive effect on that.
1: You and your wife, Josie, discovered this at a really stressful time in your lives. Tell people a bit about that.
0: Yeah, at the the time, our four children were very young. We had four children under four at that age. And we also had uh, quite a few tragedies. Josie's brother died. Her dad had just died. Her uncle died. Her auntie died. You know, we were dealing with a lot of grief um, and a lot of trauma. And really, we were in a hole. And the only thing that started to kind of get us up out of the hole was um, breathing and the cold. We used to do a cold shower every night when the children were in bed and the house was kind of in some order. And what we found was that it gave us more energy. It gave us an ability to deal with the pressures a little more. It actually even helped us cope with the grief more slowly. Now, the grief never fully goes away, but we were able to manage it better. So that was really... um, that was really the moment we decided that we had to explore this really deeply. And that was my journey then to becoming a Wim Hof Method instructor and working with Wim and, and, um, and The Power of the Cold. This book is really an exploration of, of what we can learn down there in the depths of the colds. And it's, not just, it's for, written for two people. It's written for the person who hates the cold, which is a lot of people, but feel that they might need some of the benefits from it. But it's also written for the person... Who already makes the effort to get into the sea, to get into a cold shower and it plots out a path of mastery for those people so they can get more from their experience, more from the effort that they're already making.
1: And I touch on yourself and Josie because I think sometimes people will see, you know, you or somebody else with Wim Hof cutting holes in the ice and jumping mm-hmm. in and going, OK, that's all well and good. But this was very everyday stresses of life. And a story you tell in the book that really spoke to me was you coming down the stairs and Josie was singing in the kitchen. And it's just the small little changes that it brought in because everybody knows how stressful mornings can be. Throw small kids in there. So the stresses hadn't changed. The grief was still there, the kids were still there, but you guys had changed.
0: Yeah, and that that's exactly it. You know, the Buddha talks about how life is suffering and it's inevitable. But our reaction to it is what we have the power over. So that morning that I came down to the kitchen, usually the, the mornings in our house were really difficult. You know, the four children trying to get them out the door, trying to get everyone lunches and all that kind of stuff. And it was really unpleasant. But I remember coming down maybe three or four days after we'd started the cold showers. And Josie has this magnificent singing voice. And she was singing and we were laughing. We were dancing around the kitchen. And I remember stopping and asking myself, what the, what's going on here? Like, this is not the usual but what it had given us was, and the, and the science shows us, it gives you more energy. So we felt that. It also reduced the stress in our bodies and our minds. We felt that. And it just made things lighter, gave us more patience. And that was a big turning point. Because everyone has, you might not have four children, but everyone has those different things in your life that put you under extreme pressure. And it can feel relentless at times. And the cold, when we learn to use it as a force for good in our lives... Gives us this ability to find a sense of calm and control, no matter what chaos is going on.
1: And people be listening, going, "Oh God, no! I, I hate the cold. I hate to feel cold. And even I hate to feel cold." As the temperature's starting to change, I'm bringing, you know, the winter duvets back on the bed. The electric blanket has gone back on. I mean, everyone likes to get warm and cozy, but it's about using the cold to your advantage, isn't it? It's not like you were like, I love cold. You just loved what cold did to you and for you.
0: You're right. We should we have evolved over millions of years to be able to press a button and have a beautiful hot shower or turn on the heat and we really need to enjoy those things. But as you said, in this part of the world, when the temperature turns and, and the, we turn towards the dark part of the year, we have to learn to embrace the cold. We have to learn to use it as a force for good that enriches our days. Otherwise, it can be quite miserable. So it's not about, you know, everyone loving the cold, but it's about learning how to use it to make us feel stronger, how to use it to make us feel healthier, how to use it to help us feel calmer. And it's, and it's a, a, a very simple path that we plot out in the book. So not everyone wants to jump in an ice bath, but there's very small steps that begin the path to making the, this force in our, for good in our lives. And... It, it's about changing how we understand the cold, changing our relationship with the cold. There's a great phrase in Irish, and the English translation is that the cold follows us to the door, but the damp follows us to bed. So in this part of the, in the world, the cold here is so damp that it can get into everything, get into our bones, it feels so cold. So really, th- this book is about finding a way to learn how to deal with that and to turn that dampness, that coldness to our advantage.
1: And it can be as small as 10 seconds at the Mm. end of your warm Mm. shower. And I always think the buzz comes from thinking you can't do something and then you can. You get out of that shower and you feel invincible. You get out of the sea, you feel invincible. You get out of the ice bath eventually. You're like, I can't believe I did that. And there's real power in that.
0: The cold, is a very powerful force but it's also a very profound teacher so in those examples that you have there it teaches us how to be resilient so when we get out of the cold shower even if it's five ten seconds we feel so alive we feel so strong it's like a victory and that victory then teaches us that we can deal with difficult things the cold is just teaching us that we can deal with difficult things and then when the difficult thing happens to us again later in the day our body remembers what was it like in the cold and we can use the same breath to deal with it. So really the cold has all these amazing physical benefits, but it's teaching us how to deal with all types of pressure, including the ones at home or in work. And that's how profound a teacher the cold can be.
1: And um, for people who think, oh no, I mean, that's just not for me. How much cold can the body withstand? With your work, I know you head off to Poland to meet Wim Hof and you're all there in your shorts and your bare feet through the snow. I mean, we can handle cold temperatures, can't we?
0: Yeah, our our bodies are built to survive. So it's not for everybody to try and feel that, but, you know, you can go and you can, you can, with, with training and safely doing it, you can see that you can do amazing things and people do it all the time in their life all the time. So somebody that might look at the sea and say, so, oh, I hate to see you, and eventually gets in for a little dip and comes out. They have proven to themselves that they they can survive in something really harsh. Now that can be expanded to maybe you want to someday climb up a mountain in your shorts in the snow in Poland. Not everyone wants to do that. But it's a reminder to ourselves that these bodies we're in have evolved over millions of years to survive extremely harsh conditions. Now, thankfully, in this part of the world, we don't have to deal with those harsh conditions very often. But the body needs a little taste of that harsh condition to really come alive, to really be balanced and strong and healthy. So that's where the cold comes in. So, yes, we can endure amazing, amazingly difficult things in the snow and the ice. But in our day to day, even in a little dash of cold, even when we're washing our hands, Normally in hot water with soap, even turning it to cold there and just feeling that cold in your hands, even that can have a profound effect on our health.
1: Yeah, it's bringing you into that moment. And again, as you said, making you feel alive. You talk in the book about the concept of chaos and control. Mm. Can you expand on that a little?
0: The experience in the cold follows a very specific kind of path. The, the, The first part of our experience in the cold is always chaos and shock. anybody gets into the sea, or even if we put our hands in the cold, our body jumps up into fight or flight. We feel this sense of uh, this shock and this chaos. And we want that. We're kind of putting ourselves into this position on purpose to learn then how to use our breathing, this lovely slow exhale, practicing this slow exhale, to move from chaos down into the sense of control firstly, where we have control over our breath and we start to feel safe in the cold. And then, with a little bit of practice, we can move from chaos to control and we can slow our breath down a little bit more and we can find a sense of calm in the cold. And then the real deep changes start to take place in a person. Then they know they have learned that they can find a sense of calm in the cold, but the cold is just a pressure. Grief is a pressure. Stress is a pressure. Anxiety is a pressure. So then, when they've learned to find control and then calm in the cold, then they can find that same path to control and calm no matter what's going on.
1: Well, it's a really beautiful book and like with the first one, it's like, you know, a kind of a small, almost square hardback. So it's not like a big, weighty, scientific book and yet it contains... A lot of science, a lot of explanation. It's got that pathway that people can follow if they want to embrace the cold and lots of little personal stories of not just your own and Josie's, but people you've met along the way who have transformed their lives with cold. You had a call from the publishers before you came in (laughs) to record me today. They had good news and bad news. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so they had they had good news, which is there's such demand for the book that the first print is nearly sold out all over the world. So that was great news to hear. Uh, The bad news is, though, that means that it'll take maybe a few weeks for the second print to arrive in shops. So uh, if you go to your local bookshop, hopefully it should be there. But if it's not there, if you jump on Amazon or Waterstones online, they should have a copy as well. And the audiobook is coming out in a couple of weeks on Audible as well.
1: And as you can hear, Neil has the most calming voice, so I think that's a good way to get you into a cold shower. The book is called The Power of Cold. Neil, where can people find you online to hear more about your academy and your workshops?
0: So they can find me at breathewithneil.com website or breathewithneil on social media.
1: Neil O'Muraku, thank you so much as ever. You're welcome. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Eva Breen, to Hugo de Silva Scott, who was on sound. Thank you to all of my guests and to you as ever for listening. I will see you next week.
0: Alive and Kicking on News
1: Talk.